What up? This is Dart Adams. This is episode 52 of Dart Against Humanity. Uh, first things first, I want to get a couple things out the way. Um, I've been kind of annoyed with, again, I've always complained about the state of journalism. One thing I'm really annoyed about right now is that, especially in the sports uh, coverage space, places like ESPN, Fox Sports 1, uh and like, especially like uh, basketball, Twitter, or, they're spreading this weird narrative that suits what they want to do. And my issue is that, especially with journalism, is that a lot of times uh, things get obscured, uh, uh, swept under the rug, and sometimes the space allows for false narratives to run that suits them. I can't abide by that. And it bothers me that with all these journalists around, nobody really sees this. Or they see it and they just completely avoid dealing with it head on. So something that's bothering me especially is uh, I understand that Danny Ainge and um, Brad Stevens deserve a lot of critique for what went wrong with the Celtics last year. However, the issue comes when you blame people for shit that wasn't necessarily their fault. If you ask me, the things that Danny Ainge did very wrong that led to what happened to the Celtics recently, Kyrie Irving was going to free agency, we already knew that, but Al Horford ultimately opting out of his own of his option and seeking to go elsewhere, possibly in free agency. I that that man go get his money, go find a contender, do whatever. He's done more than enough. He was a Celtic through and through. Uh, he he was the glue for this team. He was a leader. He exemplified everything that you want to get out of a Celtic. He came here as a free agent, as a black Latino at a time when people said that black people don't want to come to Boston to play as free agents. I have nothing bad to say about Al Horford. Al Horford is the reason why the Celtics were going to the Eastern Conference Finals and finding a way to win, even though they played a style of game that Boston doesn't play. They had a one ball-dominant guy shooting all the shots like Allen Iverson did in, uh, was it, 2001 when he played for uh, the 76ers? And everybody else was just like play defense, rebound, get him the ball again, or maybe put it back if he misses. IT was the only guy who could create his own shot. Everybody had to rely on IT to either distribute or penetrate and make everybody collapse. That's not how the Boston Celtics play basketball. And when it came to the Eastern Conference Finals, they got blown the fuck out. Why? Because that's not how the Boston Celtics play basketball. However, Brad Stevens made this team full of cast-offs, uh, wet blankets, dirty socks, uh, shit left over in a laundry room that nobody brings back. And he willed that team to a first seed in the East. All right? Now, one thing Brad Stevens does well is he takes teams that on paper look like trash and has them overachieve. Last year, you gave Brad Stevens all the chips, everything. 
Loaded roster. What did they give you? 49 wins. But why did they give you 49 wins? Well, for one thing, they went away from playing Celtics basketball. For one thing, they did all the shit that they did all the sh- they didn't do any of the shit that Brad Stevens teams or Celtics teams typically do. That's why people who are lifelong bleed green people. I'm talking announcers. I'm talking analysts. Lifelong fans did not enjoy this team last year. There's a reason for that. And a lot of that falls on the shoulders of Brad Stevens for not being able to adjust and Danny Ainge and the leadership for not being able to right the ship or take control of the reins, even though they wanted the team to do it themselves. They wanted the team to determine what happens to them because nobody is a captain and everybody has equal part to blame or shares in the success or failure of a team which is a novel idea only problem is by doing that that's what ultimately led to the team being trash this season that being said i just need to address one thing the idea that the reason why the Celtics fell apart is because Danny Ainge couldn't get the deal done he had all these assets He had all this leverage and couldn't get the deal done. Now, there's a thing about deals, right? There are two sides to a deal. There's you who's holding all the assets, who has all the leverage, who is the person that everybody knows has all the assets. And then there's the other side, the person doing the deal with you. If all deals are supposed to be in good faith, then that means that you have to trust that you're working on the level with somebody and you have to be willing to deal with that person. What happens if on the other side, that person doesn't feel too good about the other person they're dealing with? What if no matter what you have, no matter how many assets you have, no matter what it seems like you you can provide for them, you always take a deal with somebody else? This is what happened. Let's run down the list. And first, I like to provide um, context. I like to give background because I'm a journalist. This is not what I do. I am not a fucking sports writer. I write about music and culture and all this other shit. So why am I doing this job? Because nobody in this space is doing it. And also because I'm from Boston. All right. So we have to remember that we got the timeline, recent timeline. Right now it's um, June 2019, right? Postseason, summer 2019 season after the Toronto Raptors won their first championship with culture. With culture. They didn't have any lottery picks that were a part of that team that just won a championship. So the Toronto Raptors won with culture. One main star, everybody else filled the role. Maybe two all-stars, three all-stars. Everybody else filled the role. And this is how the Boston Celtics play and have forever. They've never had a player lead the league in scoring. All right? Boston Celtics have a bunch of people in the Hall of Fame. Horrible stats. Doesn't matter. They win. Moreover. So we go back to July 2016 free agency. Al Horford in July 2016 signs a free agent contract with the Boston Celtics. Uh, The Celtics are not known for, for attracting free agents. They usually trade for somebody or they draft them. Okay? Or they trade for somebody on draft day. That's what the Celtics do. 
anyways, they actually get a free agent, Al Horford. People are like, eh, Al Horford, whatever. He turns out to be a huge get because he plays like a Celtic. He aids the Celtics in getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Okay? Now, we get to the 2007 Eastern Conference Finals where the Celtics uh, play with IT. IT gets injured during the Eastern Conference Finals. They insert Marcus Smart into the starting lineup. They beat the Cleveland Cavaliers on the road in the last second shot. The next game they play, the Celtics are beating the Cleveland Cavaliers over 75% of this game with Chris with Marcus Smart at the point. What happens is Kyrie Irving goes off from the third all the way through the fourth quarter. Starting kind of in the second. Because you have to remember that um, Le- LeBron was in foul trouble. So Kyrie Irving takes this game over. And to avoid the series being tied 2-2 without IT playing. They take a 3-1 lead. Thanks to Kyrie. You just watch the, se- watch the game on YouTube. It's amazing. Uh, so then the Celtics get uh, unceremoniously blown out the rest of the series. Now, here's the thing. Um, 2007. The Boston Celtics won the NBA draft lottery, the, I believe, the day before the, the 2007 Eastern Conference Finals began. So that means the Celtics were holding the number one pick in the draft and we're playing in the Eastern Conference Finals. And people were looking at it like this is a rebuild. They had the number one seed in the East. The number one pick in the NBA draft. And were playing for an opportunity to go to the NBA Finals during a rebuild. With a team that was trash. They had IT and then... What did they say in um, Moneyball? There's 50 feet of trash, then there's us. Okay? The Celtics won with gumption, determination, and grit. They were a ball of dirty socks held together with bailing wire and duct tape. That's how trash that team was. And I don't care what anybody says. I love the way they played. I love the way they played defense. They played together. But that team was trash. That team was trash to the point where anybody who was paying attention knew that the Celtics were going to upgrade and none of those guys were going to be on that team anymore. At least I thought. I, I seems, it seems to be different. I don't know who the hell was under the impression that they were going to keep any of these guys. Uh, so one of the things that happened was during this season, I'll remind you, Jay Crowder got pissed off at the fans because every time Gordon, Gordon Hayward came uh, to the Garden when he played with Utah, the fans would kind of cheer for Gordon Hayward because, again, fans are knowledgeable. And they know that free agency is coming up and Gordon Hayward plays the position that Jay Crowder plays. He's an upgrade to Jay Crowder. And he has um, Brad Stevens was his coach. And likely he's going to come to Boston because Boston's on the up. So Jay Crowder got pissed off at the fans for cheering for him. 
And I'm like, does Jay Crowder not know who he is? Does Jay Crowder not know the role he plays? Does Jay Crowder not know what's going on in the NBA? And ultimately, what happens was he goes back and forth and he beats with fans on social media. I'm like, this is not going to end well for you because you're not going like everyone knows you're not going to be around. You're going to your trade, your trade bait. Nobody here is going to stick around. You're not going to get a long term contract in Boston and not for a lot of money. That guy's getting the max. We know this. So what happens is, of course, Gordon Hayward comes up in free agency in 2017 after the Celtics uh, were in the Eastern Conference Finals. They sign him. But before that, let's establish let's establish this timeline. Why don't people want to deal with Danny Ainge? Why do people call Danny Ainge a genius? And why is the entire league leery to make deals with him? Let's start. I have paper. On June 27th, 2013, on draft day, the Boston Celtics pulled off what is considered the most lopsided trade in NBA history with the Brooklyn Nets. For years, people are talking about how Danny Ainge fleeced the Nets. It's the talk of the league. It's the talk amongst fans. It's on ESPN. It's on Fox Sports. It's on every site you could imagine. It's on Bleacher Report. It's on The Athletic, which didn't didn't exist back then. It's on whatever fucking site existed back then that no longer existed. Had to do with the guy from who claims he's the Boston sports guy who nobody in Boston gives a fuck about. Um, figure that out. But it's all anybody's talking about for years. And nobody wants to be the next team on the Summer Jam screen. Okay? So now we come down to the Boston Celtics winning the draft lottery and have the number one pick. The Philadelphia 76ers have the third pick. On June 17, 2017, the Celtics decide, hey, um, we're going to... S- Walk picks with you. We're going to trade down from one to three 76ers so you guys can move up and get the guy you want at one. Oh, but we also want compensation for that. So what do the Sixers do? Give them a first round pick. What do the Celtics do? The Celtics take the guy they were going to take at one anyway, Jason Tatum. And who do the 76ers pick? Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz doesn't play. Markel Fultz ends up getting traded. I believe he's in Orlando right now. And he still hasn't played. But the Celtics sure as hell use use, um, Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has played, what, the last three seasons? Uh, The first two seasons he played, um, no, he he wasn't around there. He was a rookie. So he's a rookie that run in the um, the 2008 Eastern Conference Finals, and he played in the playoffs the last year when the Celtics got bounced by um, Milwaukee. So he's looking like he's going to be a perennial Hall of Famer and possibly even better, provided he stops playing like Kobe Bryant. And then the Celtics just got another pick last night for Romeo Langford to finish that deal. So it looks like the Celtics outsmarted Philly and fleeced Philly. This further raises the doubt amongst people that they should deal with Danny Ainge. Okay. Now, on draft night 2017, what else happens? The Chicago Bulls trade Jimmy Butler to Minnesota, even though Boston made a very attractive offer. 
Okay? But why didn't Boston make a stronger offer for Jimmy Butler to Minnesota? Here's the thing. Boston made their strongest offer to Indiana for Paul George. Who ultimately got dealt June 30th, 2017. If you look up Boston Celtics and their offer for Paul George. Their offer to Paul George was far and away the best offer that Indiana got from anyone. Matter of fact. I believe I have the full um deal here. Sources confirmed the Seas were even more than ready to give the Spurs players with better contracts and multiple draft picks other than the ones mentioned in the previous paragraph. The best offer was two starters, most certainly Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley, and three first-round picks. They had offered the Sacramento 2009 pick they received from Philadelphia as an inducement for moving down for one to three in this year's draft. And the Celtics also, but the Celtics didn't want to part with their top picks from the earlier two years, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And this is where the deal stalled. The Celtics made the best deal available, but weren't willing to part with either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. But they offered way better than any other team who made an offer. Why would they want Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum? The reason being is that the Celtics had fleeced other teams and everybody in the league was talking about how Danny Angel got an over on them. So they wanted extra to prevent everybody in the league talking about them. So they took worse offers from other teams because nobody in the league is going to talk about how Danny Ainge fleeced them. This is, this is a fact. This is fact. That's why last night we saw people making deals left and right because people traded with this team and this GM without fear that every sportscaster or every analyst or every fan on Twitter or everybody in that space in, in, in the basketball world was going to talk about how they let Danny Ainge get over on them. Essentially, that's what it is. That's the core of it. Insane, right? So we go further down, right? August 23rd, 2017. Danny Ainge makes a deal with the Cleveland Cavaliers after Kyrie Irving says that he's not happy there and he actually wants to go to Boston. So the Celtics swoop in and they say, hey, we're going to give you Cleveland. We're going to give you all of this and we're going to give you IT. And Cleveland can't say that they were taken aback by how hurt IT was because didn't they play IT didn't they play him, that team, with IT on him when he wasn't playing? He was, they saw, they were there, right? They saw, they, it was just months ago. They, he wasn't playing, he was injured. Anyway, so they make a deal and the, and the Celtics get Kyrie Irving and they send all this shit to Cleveland for Kyrie. At first, people are like, it's an even deal, it's an even deal. Some people even said Cleveland won. A little later... Cleveland starts to feel it 
because they realize, wait, maybe IT is more hurt than we thought. And wait a second. Months from now, we're going to start hearing people say that Danny Ainge got us again. Right. And we were stupid for making a deal with Danny Ainge and everybody's going to be calling us um, the next team that got hit on. The, uh, they ended up on the Summer Jam screen. Thanks to Boston. So what did the Cleveland Cavaliers do after the deal had already been done and, and rumbling started talking and rumbling started happening and people started talking? They felt a certain way and they were like, hey, um, Celtics, we're going to need some extra, extra compensation, even though you already gave us a gang of shit. The Celtics ultimately said, cool. So they gave them something else extra, I believe like a second round pick, just to shut them up. What happened is on ESPN and on Fox Sports and on all these other media sites and the blogs and the Twitter accounts, everybody started talking about, how, oh, the Celtics got over on Cleveland again. Danny Ainge got over on everybody again. This is August 2017. So that's three separate incidents where everybody's talking about Danny Ainge hadn't gotten over. And the Celtics are poised to win championships forever. And now they have Al Horford. Now they have Gordon Hayward. And now they have Kyrie Irving. And they have been talking openly, why, about possibly acquiring someone who wasn't even available anytime soon, Anthony Davis. And the Celtics had all this talent, all these chips, all these assets, and were poised to uh, either dominate, be the next team out of the East, go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and compete for the next five to eight years. Everybody didn't like that. So what happens is the Celtics are like, all right, let's try to get over the hump. You have the next season, right? Are you aware that during the 2008 draft deadline, the Boston Celtics made offers for Kawhi Leonard that San Antonio did not entertain? And they also made a stronger offer once the season was over? The Celtics wanted to package three picks and in order for the deal to work with money, they were going to offer multiple players along with it. San Antonio heard the deal and didn't take it. Why? Because they didn't want to deal with the Celtics. So they took a lesser deal with a team that they thought worked better. But the important thing was they got a player back in DeMar DeRozan that they really thought could help them if he's going to replace Kawhi. The Celtics were not willing to part with Jalen Brown and or Jason Tatum. And why would they? So to critique the Celtics for not giving up players that they think are the future, but give up all these other assets and be willing to deal rotation players along with it to get the deal done. And also the Celtics were not pressed to get Kawhi Leonard because they had Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward coming back from injury. They're getting Kyrie Irving coming back. Again, this is the offseason. Kyrie Irving coming back, and they're going to be loaded going into the next season. And they might possibly be able to get Anthony Davis. They did not 100% know that Anthony Davis did not want to come there yet. This hadn't, this hadn't surfaced. The Chris Paul and Clutch sports shit had not happened yet. Okay? Keep in mind that the Boston Celtics were about six minutes from going to the finals without Kyrie or Hayward 
and they played the game seven at home, led by all young guys. Keep that in mind. So when people ask how come Danny Ainge or the Celtics couldn't get the deal done, um, guys, you can't make deals with people that don't want to make deals with you. Okay? You just can't. Second half, I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about uh, the Beat Nuts self-titled album, which is often called uh, Street Level. Today is its 25th anniversary. And we're back. So, as I mentioned before, we took the break. Today is the 25th anniversary of one of the greatest, most beloved, well, mostly by heads, uh, most critically acclaimed rap albums of 1994 that wasn't made by Nas or Biggie. That album is... The Beat Nuts self-titled, a.k.a. Street Level, which was released on Relativity slash Violator Records. So they were managed by uh, a Chris Lighty, baby Chris Lighty. How did they know him? The Beat Nuts were affiliates. I repeat, the Beat Nuts were affiliates of... The native tongues. If you go back and look at liner notes, the native tongues hung tight with the beat nuts. They did production for cats like Chiali, uh, Fashion, who was also known as Alteric, right wrote for Chiali, I believe, along with um, Dave of. Uh, uh, True Goy, those of you who don't know, of De La Soul. Um, they did a lot of production for him, did a lot of remixes. They hung with these dudes early. And, of course, that meant that they were around Baby Chris, who was one of the managers. Coming up under uh, Red Alert, R.A.P., Red Alert Productions. Prop Master Red Alert. So... The Beat Nuts, I remember seeing them on a lot of early albums, a lot of early tapes. I remember the Stereo MCs, they did three remixes and it was like on the sticker. Production by the Beat Nuts. And I was like, do people, does everybody know who they are? But anyways, they released an uh, EP in 1993 called The Intoxicated Demons EP. My brother and I bought it because we saw the review in the source. We saw how many mics it got. But we remember the Beat Nuts beats and their remixes. We were like, this shit might be fire. So we went and spent the, I believe it was $5.99 on sale. So it was $6.29 tax. $6.29 when we bought it. And that shit was well worth the money. So of course we became instant Beat Nut fans. And of course that album, that TEP was filthy. I have the cassette in my hand. I'm going to pull it out because this is how we first got it. We didn't buy CDs like that back in 1994. If we bought a CD, then it was because we couldn't get the tape and or because we thought that there was a sound issue or we knew or we bought the CD later because we played the tape so much that the tape popped. So we just knew that that shit was never going to happen with a CD. And over time, the money would matter because we still have both. I am unwrapping the J card. Intro. You Don't Stop, dedicated to Subrock, who was also, they were also close to um, 
the CM mob, constipated monkeys. First thing you see, contain samples from Smiling Billy. Used by permission, performed by Heath Brothers, courtesy of Strata East Records. We're already on board. Strata East, that black and white label. Oh, shit, for real. Props over here. Um, We're looking, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. We don't see any samples, sample sources. Got Hellraiser, Pure Fire. Are you ready? Scroll down. You know, we see all the normal names, all this other stuff. Mix Engineer. Contains elements of Honky Tonk Popcorn. Bill Doggett. Warner Chapel Music BMI used by permission. Honky Tonk Popcorn performed by James Brown, courtesy of Highland Music. Additional scratches by DJ Sinister. We're like, oh shit. Super bad. Scratches by DJ Sinister. Straight Jacket. Contains excerpts of Boom Boom Shop. B. Champlin, courtesy of Sons of Champlin Music, Stay High, performed by Sons of Champlin, used under license of Capitol Records. Now, a lot of motherfuckers were certainly looking for Sons of Champlin now. Because they, if they didn't know who they were before then, they're on the radar now. Let off a couple. Rick's Joint. Fried Chicken. Yeah, you get props. Get Funky. Under Get Funky, we see contains a sample of Painted Desert, J. Zawinul. Used courtesy of Zawinul Music. Care of GoPam Entertainment, BMI. Performed by Roy Ayers, under license from Polygram. How many motherfuckers went looking for that record? June 1994. 2-3 Break. Featured Gab from Triflix, also known as Gab Gotcha. Uh... On Lick the Pussy, scroll down, contain samples from In the Mood, Jay Garland, Content Music Incorporated, administered by All Nations Music, BMI, used by permission, performed by Tyrone Davis, used courtesy of Sony, Dav- Sony Music Entertainment. Tyrone Davis, that's going in the notebook. Sandwiches, don't see anything. Psycho Dwarf, which was from the Intoxicated Demons EP. Then you scroll down, you see Chris Lighty for Baby Sounds Production and Peter Kang. All songs produced by the Beatnuts for Beatnuts Incorporated. Except you don't stop produced by Lucien. Lucien, 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 Lucien. You should know. By Woods Productions and Are You Ready? Produced by VIC for Groove Merchants. On this album, I believe VIC was actually part of the Beatnuts. They forced him to spit a rhyme. I believe the rhyme was written by um, Fashion. A.K.A. Altariq. So then you just go through the thank yous. Jungle Brothers, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Black Sheep, Curious George, Lucien, V.I.C., Constipated Monkeys, Grand Pooba, Fat Joe, Flex, MC Light, Dr. Butcher. We all know who Dr. Butcher is of the X-Men. Slick, Kid and Play, who they produced a lot for. Uh, they had an album that was supposed to come out called Void that never came out when it got dropped. Um, Ice-T, Pete Nice, uh, Nice... Naughty by Nature, The Lynch Mob, Brand New Being, Lin Q, Common Sense, No ID, The Late Show, all, all Chicago cats. And for those who don't know, uh, the Beat Nuts worked with, with Common early on in his career when he was still Common Sense. When he was a young, dumb guy getting drunk in the studio, acting an ass. And the Beat Nuts used to try to rein him in. Think about the shit that the Beat Nuts rap about and they talk about on record. And they're talking about how Common can't focus in the studio 
and he needs to get his life together. When you've been around hip hop for a long time, these are the type of things you know. And also, I've been doing this for so long that I have this big, huge, get your mind out together, um, stack of stapled together and collated Beat Nuts interviews going back to 1993 all the way up through, I believe, 2001. Pretty much every interview that they did as part of a press packet for uh, one of their later albums. Uh, likely it was Classic Nuts or it was um, Take It and Squeeze It. It was like one of their last albums with something looking like a major. And I have this in my room right now. I've read every Beat Nuts interview imaginable. I own all of them in hard copy and physical copy. I know the stories about how these dudes used to hang out with LL Cool J when he used to come to Corona Queens and hang out with other cats. I know all the stories about the fa the fabulous fleas and their shit with Q-Tip. And then when the stories came out about how the Beat Nuts were actually going back and forth with uh, a tribe called Quest on Records. When Fife said, I know this much, riding on the train with no dough sucks was a diss to the Beat Nuts. When Q-Tip said, um, I'm not a criminal, um, something, something, stay away from, stay away from something because I'm not a criminal. He was talking about the beat nuts. That's why if you listen to Third of Trio, uh, Fashion says, I'm not a criminal. That was, and like, who knew that these guys were going back and forth? Who knew that? Except for insiders. And then when it was revealed, was it revealed on Twitter like six, seven years ago? It all made sense. Anyways, The Beat Nuts. This album blew my mind, myself and my um, younger brother. So the album opens with the intro by Lucien, and then you don't stop. Don't, 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 all got to get yours. Don't, don't, don't. And we're just like, how the fuck did they make this? How did they make this? Yeah, those are sirens. I live in the hood. And, um, we were just looking at each other, myself and my younger brother. My younger brother is the one who ended up being a producer, even though I was the guy who used to go out and like hunt for records and stuff like that, not having any equipment, not knowing when I was ever going to see or smell any equipment or the inside of a studio. My younger brother one day lucks up and somebody hands him at the train station at Boston Latin, the Green Line station, um, hands him a DR550 Dr. Rhythm drum machine and the power source. So he comes home. We we I believe we weren't going to the same school at the time. I was already in um, I had already got expurgated and I was in um English high. And he just comes home. And he's like, "Hey, look what I have." I'm like, "Oh, a drum machine. Interesting." Hmm. He figures out how to use it. He plugs in headphones. He then figures out how to connect it to something else. Our friend across the street, Lavar. He gets some equipment. He ends up getting a, a 6, a 24, a 12 second sampler. Was it a DS, a DS 1224? 
where this has the huge button in the middle. You just press it when you come up with the sample. So I had records. My brother had his DR550. And what ended up happening was like all of our friends, our boy Kai, this kid DeAndre who lived on um, East Springfield, end up, I, they end up forming a rap group. I helped teach them how to write rhymes, and next thing you know, and a lot of that era was us listening to old rap tapes. Now, we got Hellraiser. My ears are burning hot. Like, uh, DJ Sinister. Mr. Sinister did so much work on this record. So much work. I believe it's the same guy, Mr. Sinister, from the X-Men slash Executionist. Um, but this tape is mind-boggling. So, okay. I also have the CD here. This, we got the CD later just in case the tape popped on us because we played it so much. So the, this is what's important. Side A is the intro slash you don't stop, which goes all the way down to Rick's joint. Rick's joint is the last song on side A. When you flip it over, that side B opens with fried chicken. I can't stress to you the importance of this. If you want to make a classic album in this time, this day and age, make an album that heads love, you have to be able to sequence it properly. You have to be able to make sure that there's no spot, just like if you're watching a film, there's no spot where you cannot, where you cannot, um, where you can cease to uh, suspend belief. You can't snap the audience out of it. You can't get throw something weak up there and be like, uh, and you hope they get it back. The beat nuts grabbed you by the scruff of your neck. Then they came around to the front, choked you. And then they held that, held it until you went out. They did not let up. And musically and in art, that is something rare. That's why this album is still beloved 25 years later. Are you ready? Like during the song. One of the beat nuts even goes, dum, 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 dum. yeah. And we're like, yo! And that's the song that uh, Grand Poopa's on. It's on, motherfuckers, can't you see that? So sis, where Doogie, where do we that? Like, Grand Poopa came on there and just spit a verse. And the thing is that people never talk about this verse. How dope of a song is it where Grand Poopa's on the song and nobody talks about the Grand Poopa verse? Can you mind blowing? Super bad. Jesus. Like, I'm just thinking about this album right now and like all the little mini interludes and the beats and us listening, like, what is that? What is that? Rewinding stuff like, yo, did he just really say that? The beat nuts were not lyrical miracle geniuses, but I have every single beat nuts album. I said I have every single beat nuts album. I have crates upon crates. I believe you've seen some of the records. I have crates of CDs. And my crates of CDs, I have certain certain artists, certain groups that have sections. The Beat Nuts have a section in my CD crates. 
I have everything they ever made. And also, if you go to my vinyl, I have a whole bunch of Beat Nuts vinyl. I have the Spot EP. I have the Intoxicated Demons EP. I have the instrumental project on um, Hydra. Yes, I have the instrumental project on Hydra on vinyl. I think I also have the digital copy. Because somebody burnt it to vinyl for me. They did a vinyl rip. Anyways, you get the idea. Huge Beat Nuts fan. All right, let off a couple. Fried chicken. Yeah, you get props, which is the alternate version of props over here or the remix, one of the two. Get funky. Hit me with that. Hit me with that shit one time. Had a video. Got played to death on BET. Rap City. Hardcore. I believe they called it hardcore. They didn't call me. Hit, 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 hit me with that. Hardcore. Coming with the beats and rhymes. Got you running. Now you want to press rewind. Beat nuts. Come on. Running down the line. Hey, yo, fashion. Hit me with that shit one time. I got so much of this. I got so much of that. Why am I performing it? This is not karaoke. Two, three, break. And, and, and. Yeah, um, so. Lick the pussy, which I mentioned before. Then there's sandwiches. Which, you know, ha, 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 funny. And then it ends with Psycho Dwarf, which was, aside from Reign of the Tech, the signature song from the Intoxicated Demons EP. And that's a perfect way to end the tape. Psycho Dwarf was also called, in parentheses, uh, fuck, drink, drink beer and smoke some shit. There was enough time to put all those parentheses in there. And it's funny because when you look down at the corner, the right bottom corner, it says also available Intoxicated Demons, the EP uh, parentheses 1114, which was the catalog number for it on um, Relativity slash Violator. Psycholess has his thanks. Juju has his thanks. Fashion has his thanks. And it says the Beatnuts thank. You don't see individual thank yous from VIC. But VIC is is the one, two, three, four. Technically, he's one of the early people thanked on this project, which is interesting because he was part of the Beatnuts at the time of this tape. And but he also wasn't. It's it's an interesting thing. But yeah, this tape, man, is amazing. I spent a lot of time going back and forth with people. I'm closing it. I spent a lot of time with people going back and forth about the title of it. Is it called Street Level or not? Well, here's the thing. My, uh... My argument was, if you want to know what the title of the album is, if you owned any Relativity Records, the name of the album was on the spine. So if you take the tape, turn it on the side, it reads plainly, The Beat Nuts. You see Relativity and the Violator Records logo, and then it has the catalog number, the ISBN, or whatever the fuck it was called, number right below it, right? You pull up the CD, bigger version, The Beat Nuts. 1179-2 Violator Relativity 
You see street level on it, but it says the beat nuts at the top. Turn on the spine. Does it say street level? No. It says the beat nuts. Turn to the back of the CD or the cassette tape. You have the 17 songs on the album. It tells you who the executive producers are. It tells you who the producers are. And on the spine, relatively slash violator, the beat nuts. 1179. Put it back down. So that was that. However, I found out later that uh, supposedly there was a print error on the album. So the album was supposed to be called Street Level, but they just self-titled it The Beat Nuts. At least that's the story I heard. Now, what's even crazier is that I will go into my room now where um, if you bought the source, one of the biggest things that we had in the source was I took out, so Upstairs Records, Upstairs Records was located in Brooklyn. They still always have this um, full page or half page or corner page ad. But what it had was it listed a bunch of albums that were out, uh, tapes, compact discs, and LPs. They were out and available for purchase. And we would read it and see their price or what you could buy from them directly. And when you looked at the list in 1994, late 94 going to 95, it would read the Beat Nuts street level. And this would spark an argument. See, it says this title is street level. And which I would put it on the side. If his name was street level, it would say it on the spine. Everybody calls it street level. Just because everybody says something doesn't mean that's it. Motherfuckers like to spread rumors. Everybody's not everybody's smart. Some people are stupid. Argument, 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 argument. This raged on for 15, 20 years about the title of an album. And why was it so important? Because people love this album. Here I am, 25 years later, uh, less than two months from turning 44 and praising it to the high heavens. Did I write about it? No. Unfortunately, I just felt like it would be too much of an uphill battle to try to sell something about the Beat Nuts. Even on the 25th anniversary of a classic album. I have no idea how many units are sold. I don't care. Don't care. Don't care at all. All I know is that this is a classic album. It's a highly influential album. It sent a lot of people to the lab. Made a lot of people search for music. That they weren't um, previously knowledgeable about or knew existed. And it incited a whole bunch of musical discovery by an entire generation of fans without them getting the proper credit or love that they deserve from the wider audience of rap listeners. They probably got that love later on when they produced Off the Books, or Watch at Watch Out Now, uh, Turn It Out. You know, when they like when uh, Jennifer Lopez pretty much used that joint. Well, she didn't produce it, but it was on her song for Jenny for the Block. That then they probably got more notoriety and love, and then of course you know. Things go by the wayside. Again, 
The Beat Nuts, incredible group, love their entire back catalog, own everything they ever made. Uh, when they come to town and they used to perform and they perform with um my boys Term and all the ST Cats. Great show, great time. Love them dudes. And that's how I'm going to end this episode. One.